Good morning, and welcome to Obreeders Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Katie F., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Wednesday, March 11, 2015. Today we are reading from the Big Book, Chapter 5, and we are at page 60, Paragraph 3. Today's readers are Deb W., Penny C., and Anne Marie M. The reference number for yesterday, March 10th, is 7384. That's 7384. OA's preamble. O Readers Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting for our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Donna F. to read the 12 steps. Please press star 1 to unmute. Good morning. Uh, this is Donna F. from Maryland, a recovering, grateful, compulsive overeater. Here are the steps we took which are suggested as a program of recovery. We admitted we were, one, we were admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that the power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, committed to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to all of them. Nine, made direct amends to such people whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And twelve, having a spiritual awakening, as the result of these steps, we try to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. And I pass. Thank you, Donna F. I will now ask Anita L. to read the 12 Traditions. Good morning, everybody. This is Anita L. from Philadelphia, recovered for today and grateful, thanks to my higher power. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. 
Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants they do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Anita L. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing a topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book on page 60, paragraph 3, and Deb W. is going to begin reading, reading two paragraphs. Go ahead, Deb. Good morning, everybody. This is Deb W., Recovered Compulsive Eater. Being convinced we were at step 3, which is that we decided to turn our will and our life over to God as we understood him. Just what do we mean by that, and just what do we do? The first requirement is that we be convinced that any life run on self-will can hardly be a success. On that basis, we were almost always in collision with something or somebody, even though our motives are good. Most people try to live by self-propulsion. Each person who is an actor wants, who wants 
each person is like an actor who wants to run the whole show, is forever trying to arrange the light, the ballet, the scenery, and the rest of the players in his own way. If his arrangement would only stay put, if only people would do as he wished, the show would be great. Everybody, including himself, would be pleased. Life would be wonderful. In trying to make these arrangements, our actor may sometimes be quite virtuous. He may be kind, considerate, patient, generous, even modest and self-sacrificing. On the other hand, he may be mean, egotistical, selfish, and dishonest. But as with most humans, he is likely to have varied traits. And so what this paragraph paragraph is saying to me is, where am I in the position of uh, life right now? In the position, how do I see things? You know, am I open or am I closed? And for me, what... I'm seeing is that my intentions are good. You know, my, I, you know, I, it's like I raised my children and I was there to protect them and I set the rules and I set the conditions that I felt, the, the morals, the values that I felt was best for them. Well, the problem is now that my children are grown and I'm still trying to set the, the rules and values and the morals for them. And, and and I not only took what I valued with my children, and I, I took it and handled life and the world with the same uh, morals and values, and I stepped on other people's feet doing that. You know, I am only... Uh, I am only... Uh, able to run life the best way I know how. And working these steps, I see that there is another way. I see that I have, you know, like it says um, on the uh, bedevilments, I have pushed and pulled with life until I have offended others. I am uncomfortable myself. um, And things are, you know, things are a mess. And so what do I do when I feel uncomfortable? What I, I do is I, I use something to feel better, and that's where I use the food. My intentions are well. Most of the time, that's the way I see it anyway. I see that I meant well and, and that I am right, and you are wrong, and you need to do it my way. Because if you do it my way, it will come out Okay. And how can I know that when my own life has not come out okay? And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Deb W. Who would like to share on these two programs? Matt M. Matt M. Larry. Okay, Matt M. Larry, and I heard someone else. Renata. Renata. And Paula D. Paula D. Okay, let's go with those four. Matt M., Larry K., Renata, and Paula D. Thank you. So I go first, Matt? Yes, Matt. Go ahead, please. All right. Good morning, my fellow visionaries. This is Matt M., compulsive overeater from New Jersey, East Coast. Yeah, I just finished reading this section again yesterday. I try to read it every day because uh, I need to realize how much ego is in this, these two paragraphs, you know. 
when I was in the food, I am definitely someone you don't want to be around. I am definitely trying to run my life and everybody else's life and trying to basically tell you how to live your life when I'm not willing to take any of that own advice on my own. Um, I am very, like it says, I am sometimes I want to be quite virtuous, modest, and self-sacrificing, but I'm only doing that because I want to get kudos and I want to get attention and I want you to tell me how good I am and how wonderful I am when inside I didn't feel it one iota towards myself. And um, on the other hand, I was definitely very mean, egotistical, selfish, and dishonest. You know, I was so selfish and dishonest in the room, so insane that I even stole money, you know, from some from some, some people in the program. That's how insane this disease made me, and I, I allowed it to happen. It was like watching my life outside, outside of myself like a movie, like a car wreck, um, slowly happening right in front of you, and you're, you're powerless to stop it. It's insane the things that I did in order for, for attention and or just to try to get um, ahead in life. And now I realize, you know what, that, um, there's very little I do have control over in my life, and uh, um, the more I try to control, the less likely it is controlled. The more it slips through my fingers, control, the less, sorry, control is but an illusion. So I just have to surrender my day every time I wake up and surrender to my higher power that I am not running the show and that he is control he is in control and guiding me through the day only. With that I'll pass. Thank you, Larry Kay, your turn. Uh thanks so much. Uh Larry Kay, recovered compulsive overeater from Chicago. Thanks for your service. You know, this is you know why this is so terribly challenging? Um you know, for me, I mean, since, since the time we were children, you know, we were often raised to embrace the idea of independence, you know, self-sufficiency. Um, I know for me, it's, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you know, just do it. And, you know, even even speaking about independence, you know, I heard it said that the only real security that a man will have in his world is the reserve of knowledge, experience, and ability. And and that's a real rational notion for sure. But unfortunately, where my disease was concerned, my own self-knowledge, experience, and ability was leading me down a, a progressive path towards an early death. And yet, I really need to be cautious in carrying a message about God where, you know, it may appear to others that I'm, you know, like a chosen one, that somehow, you know, I, I, <laughs> I cut ahead of you in the recovery line at the recovery store you know, that I'm always standing in the direct sunlight of, of this God, of my own understanding. While, while the, you know, the rest of, of you are, are busy biting your nails and worrying about when you're, you're going to get sprinkled with pixie dust and, and rendered, you know, practically perfect in every way. You know, that's not, you know, and, and when do you get your turn? As if it's inevitable. You know, it's a time served kind of thing. And I mean, this scenario may seem to go something like, you know, life before recovery was this festering sinkhole of doom, misery, destruction, you know, and, and life after recovery, oneness with, with this God of my own understanding, happy beyond my wildest dreams, and kind of like, you know, you, you, you just, you know, made the high school cheerleading squad or, or the football team. And no, this, this wasn't like getting a merit increase in pay. Being recovered for me is like my brain that so needed scrubbing has been scrubbed so that now I'm comfortable, you know, joining the math club with my pocket protector, you know, happy to be one among many. 
And, and if I have any pride, I'm proud of what God has accomplished in me. I didn't accomplish this, you know, I didn't effectuate the spiritual change. I just did some simple steps. God did this for me. You know, so that, that there's no shame of the transformation that God, that God uh, you know, brought about for me. Selflessness as a virtue must be its own reward. And we cannot expect any satisfaction for doing what we know we must. So for me, um, I live my life differently today by the grace of God, not by, not by my own accord. And, and thank God for Alcoholics Anonymous. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry Kay. And Renata, your turn. Thank you, Katie. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. This is Renata G., Recovered Compulsory in New York. And I'm going to focus on the first paragraph. Being convinced we, we were at step three. Uh, you know, I thought I was convinced, you know, convinced of what? A, B, and C. I knew in my heart I was completely powerless over food. I knew I needed a power greater than myself because everything I've tried didn't work. But I still, you know, when I was on my step four, first time around, I picked up the food. And my sponsor said to me, you have to go back to one, two, three, do some work there, see what's going on. And I, you know, people kept telling me that I haven't surrendered. And I couldn't understand it because I knew I was powerless. I knew I needed a power greater than me. And so, you know, I want to give a practical example of what step three looked like for me. You know, I, I finally was desperate enough. I went down on my knees and I asked God, my higher power, to show me everything I needed to let go of. I did not want to control anything else anymore. Like, whatever I tried did not work. I was convinced. And so, you know, it started with my food plan. You know, I asked God to show me what were the things in my food plan that I was still holding on to, still trying to manipulate. Because, you know, I wanted to take the steps, but there were certain things that I wanted to do my way. I did not want to surrender and the list, you know, the list came. Like, God spoke to me, you know, and the list got bigger and bigger and bigger. And I don't like talking about food on the line, but, you know, the hardest thing for me to give up were salt and artificial sweetener. And I remember that day, I'll never forget, the first meal I had that had no salt in it, I literally thought, what is the point of living? This tastes like crap. I don't want to eat like that. And, you know, but I was desperate enough. And like I said, I knew whatever I was doing was not working. And so I said, you know what, God, this is clearly not going to work. I know it's not going to work, but I'm willing. I'm going to try anyway. And, you know, the next day it was like I've never had salt in my life. It was a miracle. It's been over a year. And then the rest of my step three was, you know, I said I made a commitment with God that I was going to prove to him that I was turning my life, my will and my life over to him with action. You know, I was now going to surrender to the process and take action and go through the step work no matter what. I would do whatever it was required of me not to pick up that first bite. And, you know, and that's what I did. And I had to make some sacrifices around my social life and around, you know, going out to 
to restaurants that were tempting, whatever. Like, I had to do whatever I had to do, but the step work was priority. I, I then understood that my life depended on it, that I had to surrender complete control. And, you know, today, like every day, there's a new chance for me to surrender control to God because it's with everything, not just the food or not just doing the step work, but everything. And everything I do, I need to remember that God is the director, not me. When I was the director, it was a mess. It was, it was craziness, and I don't want to go back there. And I'm very grateful that I have such a presence, higher power in my life today. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Renata. Paula D., your turn. And thank you, Katie. And thank you for your service today. And this would be Paula D. And uh, I am a compulsive reader recovered by the grace of God. You know, as it was said here, oh, I'm listening to so much here. I'm going to bounce just one moment. I'm going to bounce to a line on the family afterwards. You see, the family is like the whole world. It isn't this one or that one. It isn't related by blood. It isn't even more more so it's related by diseases. It's related by suffering. Isn't that what the, the Lasker Award says, a kinship related by the family afterwards says one line, and then I'm going to come right back and do my preceding couple of minutes here. This involves a process of deflation. Always. That's why I must read this. I must see it again. And I want to come to this line. Each person is like an actor who wants to run the whole show. This is the part. Is forever. Doesn't that sound like a long time? Doesn't that sound exhausting? Oh, how long do you have to do this? Forever. Forever trying to show to run the whole show. Can you just see? Or have you lived it? Arranging the lights, the ballet the rest of the players, and look at that word, in his own way. You know, I want to go to another part. Tired there, are you? And then it says, he may be kind, considerate, patient, generous, even modest and self-sacrificing. Oh, I've been there. Wait, now we have another hand. So what's that one got? That one got the answer? No. On the other hand, he may be mean, egotistical, selfish, and dishonest. Ah, come here. Remember what I said about the family? As with most humans, he is more likely to have very traits, and that's what I did, using them all for the same purpose, and the purpose was mine. Today I have a primary purpose. That's what these words say. I don't want to live these forever. Thank you for allowing me to share. With that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula D. Who else would like to share these paragraphs? Kim? Vasa? Melissa? Okay. Kim? Kim, G, Vasa, Melissa, um, Sharon H., and Sue G. Go ahead, Kim G. Good morning, Katie. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive ovary eater from South Jersey. Just what do we mean by that, and just what do we have to do? You know, for someone like me who was in OA many years, I had to look at, you know, what did I think step three was? What were my prejudices? 
You know, I was someone that did the OA waltz for years, which is steps one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. And we're often, not often, almost every time find myself face planting right in the food. So what did I think step three was and what did I thought I had to do? I really thought step three was that I had to call my sponsor every day, turn over my food, and then what I would do is I'd give God this laundry list of things he was supposed to do for me today. And I treated him like Santa Claus. If I was a good little girl, maybe he would grant my wishes. And if I wasn't, I was going to get coal in my stocking. But that's not what step three is. Step three is simply this decision to move on with the rest of the work. So I used to hear it as, well, I turned my will over and I took it back. And I turned my will over and I took it back. And what I realized now was that was me playing God. It was me saying, okay, I'm going to give God these instructions. And when I don't trust him to do what I need to do in order to feel safe, I'm going to take it back and I'm going, to, I'm going to be in control again. And why would I do that? Because I'm not convinced. I wasn't convinced that I couldn't run my life. I kept thinking I couldn't trust God with these bigger things or I couldn't trust God with these little things. I still felt I can do it on my own. And I often hear the question, well, how do I know what God's will is? How do I know what God's will is? Well, my experience is I'm living in that doctor's opinion, not only when I'm in the food, but when I'm, when I'm stone-cold abstinent, of I cannot differentiate the truth from the false, and my alcoholic life is the only normal one. So how do I learn what God's will is? I make this decision to do the rest of the work so I can be unblocked from a power. I need to be unblocked from a higher power. So I love when somebody had broken down the um, serenity prayer in one of our special recordings, that, you know, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, which is steps one through three, the courage to change the things I can, which is steps four through nine, and the wisdom to know the difference, which is steps 10, 11, and 12. So I'm not going to know God's will. I'm not going to know the will of my higher power until I get through the steps. So step three is simply the decision to go on with the rest of the steps. And I'm just going to end with one more line. It says, most people try to live by self-propulsion, which is true. This is not a unique thing among compulsive overeaters. But what I have to recognize as a compulsive overeater if I try to live by self-propulsion, if I try to be in charge of the show, my results are I'm going to be restless, I'm going to be irritable, I'm going to be discontent, and I'm going to be so uncomfortable in my own skin that the only option I'm going to have is to pick up, and to pick up for me is to die. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim G. Vasa, your turn. Thank you, Katie, for your service, and good morning, everybody. And I'm Vasa Ulrich, a compulsive overeater calling from Florida. And uh, I have been, you know, and as I, I, you know, the first three steps, I, you know, I, I, I was there. I was there. I had no problem to admit that I was a food addict, could not manage my own life. That probably no human power could relieve me from the food, and I couldn't relieve myself. I couldn't. Nobody could do it for me. That God could and would if He was thought, and I was ready to surrender uh, with that step, you know, because I didn't want to die. I took a risk. I took a chance. I was terrified to, you know, to get on my knees and to surrender. That life out there, the life I'm living, you know, I'm going to be dying. Anyway, so might as well do it, you know. And um, again, I'm so grateful that I did it. 
I, you know, the life that I have to, today compared to the life I had to, before. It's amazing. I'm I'm 30 years living longer than I would have, you know, when I was into the food addiction. You know, these are my bonus years. But you know, it says here each person is like an actor who wants to run the whole show. Is forever trying to arrange the lights, the belay, the the scenery, the scenery, and the rest of the players in his own way. If his arrangements would only stay put, if only people would do as he wished, the show would be great. And that is so true. True. I remember looking, thinking, well, if everybody did, if my husband did this, if the kids did that, then I'd be happier. Or you know, things will be different. Or waiting for things for other people to change. And uh, it, you know, it had nothing. I needed to, you know, I I needed to change, you know, not to make other people change. And I saw myself as the. It says he may be kind, considerate, patient, generous, even modest, and self-sacrificing. And I was completely that person. I thought I was wonderful. Why don't they see this? Why don't they recognize this in me? But on the other hand, he may be mean, egotistic, selfish, and dishonest. But as with most humans, he is more like to have varied traits. And I was like a diamond with different sides. So it was hard looking myself, looking in the fourth step. But I kept on asking God, please, now I've done the three steps and I've surrendered to you. Now you're going to help me deal with this part, too. Thank you for letting me share, and I'll pass. Thank you, Vasa. Oh, Melissa, I think, C, you're next. Hi, this is Melissa, a recovered compulsive overeater from New York. And, um, you know, what what strikes me is my ego. It's so big that, you know, I could be running a mess of my life, and yet, I'm going to look at everybody else and think that I have the answer and direct. Um, You know, it's not enough that I can barely perform, but I'm going to tell everybody else how to perform. And, um, you know, I'm feeling discomfort today because something has come up in the workplace. And, you know, this is where I really have to get quiet. You know, I really meditated this morning and tried to press in. And, you know, because I am not trying to live on self-will anymore. So that means that I have to open myself up and be ready to listen. And, um, you know, I teach and it feels like right now um, in elementary schools, the world is going crazy and we're testing these kids to death and it's driving me crazy. And, you know, I'm not going to be able to change the world. (laughs) And, um, and, And I have to kind of come to acceptance with you know, the small part, I'm just a cog in the wheel. I'm important, you know, only important in the, the lives that I'm directly touching and um, and most importantly in my own life. And so I'm, I, I, this kind of reminds me to, um, you know, open myself up to what God wants for me today um, and do my small part. Stay in my lane. Do what I know is right. You know, I, I, I'm so lucky that I work with small children in that I have the opportunity to be loving and and be of service to so many people today. And, um, you know, and that's really, when I get quiet, that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm not supposed to argue too much with other professionals in my building. 
I'm not supposed to argue with my administrators. Um, I can certainly say my truth because I'm, I'm learning how to be a little bit um, less fearful and, um, and less the people pleaser, but, um, but I don't have to fight and, and, um, and that's what's coming through to me today. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Melissa. Sharon H., your turn. Good morning, Katie, and thank you for your service and welcome to everyone out on the line. My name is uh, Sharon H., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Colorado by God's Grace. Um, I like these two things. Being convinced we were at step three, which is we decided to turn our will and our life over to God as we understood him. Then you go down to the next paragraph. The first requirement is that we be convinced that any life run on self-will can hardly be a success. Then we go down. Most people try to live by self-propulsion. Each person is like an actor who wants to run the whole show, is forever trying to arrange the lights, the ballet, the scenery, and the rest of the players in his own way. If these arrangements would only stay put, if only people would do as he wished, the show would be great. Everybody, including himself, would be pleased. So what I see today that I didn't see for a long time when it came to my food addiction is that if I don't live in step three and being convinced, I looked up, it says, uh, to bring as by argument to belief or action. So all of these pages leading up to this brought me to that point of, okay, first I got to believe this is the fact and see the lie that I lived by because uh, I'll just give you an example of yesterday. I'm on my way to my Bible study. I get a text from my granddaughter. It ticks me off. I miss the, the uh, turn off I'm supposed to take so that I'm late for the Bible study. And so on and on it went. And um, my solution always was that, well, that just led me back to face planting myself in the food. And I did that over and over again for years. So today I have to learn how to work these steps because if I just stay stuck in step three, I'll never take action. And so the action steps are the ones that help me to learn that this is what I have done all my life. So I'm most people. I'm human. And so I have to learn how to respond to life without trying to be self-seeking, either graciously or turning up the heat so I can really get my point across. And both of them just lead me back to a life of misery with no acceptance, no joy, nothing. And I am at odds with myself and with other people most of the time. And so I'm just so grateful for this paragraph. It just spoke to my heart again today. And I did ask God, help me see this through new eyes, Lord. And that's exactly what he did. And that's what I have to keep doing. I have to keep coming to the truth so that I can see the truth and allow God to work that truth in me and not believe and act out on the lies that I always did that led me and others to always having misery as the main thing in their life rather than joy. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Sharon H. Sue G., your turn. Rick Kissett. Good morning, fellow visionaries. This is Sue G. And uh, I have to say today I'm rendered almost speechless. Uh, it's Sue G. I talk too much. Um, and I don't know if I set my timer on this little phone correctly, so tell me to shut up when it's my turn to shut up. 
Um, but say it nicely. Say what you mean, mean what you say, and don't say it means blah, 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 blah. Okay. Here, here is, here is. Um, I haven't decided yet. Um, okay, we're going to being convinced we were at step three, which is we decided to turn our will and our life over to God as we understood him. Just what do we mean by that? And just what do we do? Well, just for today, I can remember that where am I in this? I, I am capital I, that's, that's that ego. Uh Oh, watch out for that. And, and then there's little I, little I is my true self. And I can, I can talk to you about it. I can say to you, fellow visionaries, it's not about the food. It's about my true self. And I can say to you, just for today, take what you like, leave the rest behind, and that it's about my true self, it's about God, and it's about now, and that they're all the same thing, and that whichever angle I look at, I, I will make it clear to somebody somebody in this meeting and I hope I will I'm not God so I don't know if I will but I hope I will and and so if I carry a message of hope in my own life there's going to be some hope now how does this apply to to my life today well here here it is I'm willing to be vulnerable and so I had a conversation with one of my children the the teacher I love her she's she's just terrific And what do I have to give up? My ego. I have to give up trying to shape her the way I want her to be so I can listen to her. So I listened to her about her work, and I wanted to preach to her. But, oh, brother, does that get me in trouble when I do that? She can't listen to me when I do that. So I listened to her, and I listened to her enough to hear that she was unhappy with with the administration where she was working and that it's okay. She, she can be unhappy with that. What can she do with that? I mean, I don't want her to be unhappy and I can give a big speech about it or I can simply be there, be there caring about it and say, well, you know, it sounds like you, this place is making you unhappy. So you, now you know you, you can handle it. I know you'll know what to do. And I can tell you that I know that she can go somewhere where she will be happy. And whatever that takes, staying where she is or going somewhere else, she's going to figure it out. And, and I, so I just said to her, may I say to you what I, hear, what I hear you saying? I hear you saying you're unhappy. And, and that's, that's good. Then, then you can use that in some way. You'll figure out how to use that so that you can have a happy life. And what am I giving up here? I'm giving up prescribing for happy life. I, I am just one of, I, I'm willing to be vulnerable because cause she'll, she'll curse me out and tell me I talk too much. And you can, you can do that, but you're not going to curse me out because, because you love me enough to love me until I can love myself. So I'm imperfect. I'm not God. Thank you, God. Amen. And I pass. Thank you, Sue G., so much. And I heard Rekefit, but is there anyone else after Rekefit who would like to share? This is Janice. Okay, Janice and someone else? Leah. Leah. 
Sarah. Bill. Sarah W. Rochelle. Rochelle. Okay, well, that's a good little lineup there. Rakefit, Janice P., uh, Leah M., Sarah W., and Rakefit. I don't know what. Okay, go ahead. Uh, oh, no, Rakefit's first. What was the last one after Sarah W.? Was there someone after Sarah W., or is it Rakefit? Okay, let's go with Rakefit, Janice P., Leah M., and Sarah W. Thank you. Thank you, Katie. Oh, Rochelle. Rochelle. I'm sorry, I only put the R. Rochelle. We got it now. Thank you. Muting. Um, thank you, Katie. This is, um, I'm Rakefit Z, a recovered compulsive over a year in California. So I look at this, and some thoughts come to mind that I also wanted to run the show. I was a director. I knew what was best for everyone. I knew what everyone else should do. But when I look at it truthfully, it wasn't because I thought this was best for them. I, I thought it would, make, it would make me feel good. I wanted them to do what I wanted them to do, not because it would benefit them, not because it was the best thing for them to do in their lives. No, it was so I would feel good about it. Um, what comes to mind is that several years ago, my daughter got a very, very good job offer in Seattle. And she lives in San Francisco. And I didn't want her to take it because I wanted her to be in San Francisco so she could be close by to me. Me. I'm thinking about me, not about her. You know, that job offer could have been a, an excellent job for her. But I didn't even think about that in her terms. It would have been a good job offer for her career to advance, blah, blah. No. All I thought about was I don't want her to be so far away. Me. I want her to stay here in San Francisco so that I can be nearby her. And that's how I ran my life as a director. I wanted everyone to do what I wanted them to do. And it's not because I want, I cared about them. It's not because I was motivated by what was truly best for them. It was what would make me feel good. That's the only thing that I cared about. That's how I directed life. What would make me feel good. And, um, Thank God I don't have to do that today. I can really see myself so much clearer today by working the steps. So thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Rekha D. And next is Janice P. Good morning. Good morning, Miss Katie. Thank you for uh, for being our fearless leader this morning. Uh, my name is Janice. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. So don't you just love this big book? Being convinced we were at step three. So what does it mean to be convinced? What did it mean for me to be convinced? Well, oftentimes when someone was on that tipping point at that place, they'd been visited by some recovered alcoholics who told them their story. You know, that was a big deal to be able to go and carry the message because it kept them sober and gave the new person an opportunity to identify in. Because if I'm not convinced on my own, then perhaps I can listen to someone else's story and say, "Uh uh-oh, I was like that too. Oh, that's me. Because that's oftentimes what happened when these hopefully soon-to-be-recovered alcoholics needed some convincing Someone would tell them their story. And the big book reminds us of what that looks like. 
What does that look like? It looked like I was running the show. It looked like, not very successfully, I was always in collision with something or somebody. You know, so it was a setup. The big book is so good at that. It's a setup. Are you going to be able to identify in? Are you going to be able to see yourself? Do you need some convincing by looking back at your own experience, they told me. Look at your own experience. You know, we don't pronounce anybody an alcoholic. But if you see yourself in this, if you can identify in, then maybe you'll be convinced, like we were, that running it on self-will and all alone had never worked and didn't work. You know, that's the great, great miracle and mystery of all of this. I could ask questions. Am I like this? I could say to myself, do I see myself? And I tell you, I am so grateful that those in whom the problem had been solved told me the story. And they might have been so different from me in so many different ways. But I could see myself in their descriptions of how they tried to run the show, how they picked up the food again and again and again, despite every desire and wish not to. And that their personalities, they had the same kind of thing going on in them that I had going on in me. And then I could be convinced. But they also told me there was a solution. And they told me the solution was in the experience of working the 12 steps. So if I made that decision here in step three and jumped in, head first, both feet, all in, waved the white flag, said, I surrender. I'm going to work these steps as if my life depends on it. I could get what they got. You know, what a miracle is that? And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice P. Leah M., your turn. Thanks so much, Katie F. Good morning, everybody. It's Leah M., Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Uh, Being convinced we were at step three, which is that we decided to turn our will and our life over to God as we understood him, just what do we mean by that and just what do we do? And, um, you know, step three (laughs) is not a uh, complicated step. It's simply, you know, it's not a step that requires a lot of time and action. You know, my back was up against the wall. Um, left to my own devices, my own intellect, my own determination, my own motivation or any human aid, I could not wrestle myself out of this addiction of compulsive overeating. Um, step two was merely a conclusion that something out there, and I saw evidence in other people in whom the problem had been solved, could save me. So with that, you know, I was cornered. Uh, you know, and so step three was not this major uh, step that took a lot of uh, contemplation, time, you know, uh, and action. It was just a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of a higher power, whatever that was, um, and it 
it couldn't be me, but it was simply a decision. And then, of course, you know, the big book is saying, you why am I in this situation? And it's describing, you know, that I have played uh, the director trying to move all these characters on the stage of life. And I had to reflect on that, you know, and see that that was true. You know, it uses a variety of words here to describe that characteristic of mine, <laughs> self-willed, self-propulsion, self-seeker, you know, self-centered, selfish, uh, self-sacrificing, etc. Those words are all all used to describe a person who basically wants life to go his or her way, and that described me. Because when life did not unfold exactly the way Leah wanted it to, then <laughs> I was compelled to seek even comfort out of bags and boxes by digging my fists further and further down. You know, so from the perspective of the big book, the motivation of wanting life to go my own way is irrelevant. It doesn't matter whether it came out of uh, outer directedness, whether I wanted something to go well for other people and therefore I wanted to manage it so other people would be taken care of, or whether it was the motivation was inner directed. Neither of that mattered. Whatever the motive, I wanted life to go my way rather than the way it was going. Sometimes I tried to impose my will on others. Sometimes I just gave up and played the murder. But whatever was the situation, I knew the right way, and it wasn't happening, and that made me disturbed. And ultimately, it was killing me <laughs> through my uh, addiction. So, you know, I had to surrender the, uh, the job of puppeteer <laughs> and realize that there's a cosmic puppeteer out there, but I was blocked and therefore needed to proceed through the steps in order to get unblocked and have access to that power. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you so much, Leah M. And now we have Sarah W. Good morning, Katie. Good morning, everyone. My name is Sarah W., grateful, recovered, compulsive reader. Well, so much has been said about the third step and about we're, you know, soon to be entering actually into the fourth step. And I was thinking as, as we were reading this how much energy this takes when we are in the insanity of trying to control. Goodness gracious. I mean, you know, and how I've taken my whole focus off of my behaviors and put them on everybody else's and manipulating and, and you know, just the insanity of trying to you know, cover my bases and, you know, looking at everybody else and judging, you know, so much was about comparing and, you know, the thought that came into my mind is there was no uh, peace. It was all, you know, driven. Um, and, you know, not the way I want to live today. And I have to say that, you know, um, you know, the program has offered me so much in how to live my life, what to do, because uh, I didn't know. I didn't know how to, how to get to from point A to point B. And I kept doing these things over and over again and thinking that that would provide me what I wanted. But I was never happy with what I got. Uh, so I had to get to the place where I was uncomfortable enough to do something different. 
And, you know, today I'm not a perfect person. I make mistakes. I mean, yesterday when my grandson came home, you know, it was like the most insane, petty little thing. And it just, you know, there was something underneath it and the way I reacted to it. And, you know, I had to, uh, you know, work it through with somebody. And, you know, God provides that, that, um, that person and provides the uh, desire to uh, do something different. You know, we don't get perfect in this program. That's that's just not going to happen, and life does happen. And, you know, my sponsor says when something comes up, it's usually like we have this scar and the scab has been picked open, and that's when we, we get driven back into some kind of a defect. And I think it's really true. But, you know, today what I can say is that, you know, the third step is is a step that's always with me. You know, we can always use it. It's always there. And we never reach completion with it. You know, we feel like it's it's there and we have it, and then it kind of wanes a little bit, and then a defect comes up. And then we move back into it and say, no, you know, I, I, I've made this commitment to my higher power. So today I want to live in that place, and um, I'm grateful for that. And um, I'm progress, not perfection. I never will be. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sarah W. And uh, Rochelle, your turn. Good morning. This is Rochelle, recovered in uh, Maryland. And uh, I'm so appreciative of this meeting, what we're going over. Um, If I were to make this into a short story, I would say for me, I would call it the smile. Because for me, before working steps and and surrendering it would be I would go to the supermarket and for me that was my little community and I would say before I go to the supermarket I'd say gee I wonder who's going to say hello to me now you know and I just wait for people to say hello to me after all are they going to be friendly are they not going to be friendly somehow it didn't occur to me Rochelle why don't you say hello to people first if you want people to say hello to you but then one day I went to the store and there was a on the cover of the magazine was uh, someone who I really, really appreciate. And I, and I was saying to myself, oh, wait till my husband finds out about this fellow being on the cover of the magazine. We're crazy about this guy. And, and I couldn't stop smiling. And, and as I went through the aisles of the store, people who I didn't even know were just smiling at me. And it suddenly hit me, you know, okay, why are they smiling? Well, it's because Rochelle's smiling. And that was a gift. It was a gift because... I didn't create that smile. It wasn't from self-will. It was a gift from my higher power that I was so happy that I was thinking about someone else. I was thinking about how happy my husband would be when he, if I buy this magazine and he sees his fellow on the front cover. And I just overflowed onto everybody. I couldn't stop smiling. It was not something I could control. And, and that, for me, is a God moment because I was able to understand that it wasn't about me. It wasn't about me. It was about my soul, about how what I can show to other people. And and another item that happened was I was standing online again in the supermarket, and it was like uh, really, really crowded, like there was about to be a snowstorm, and there were just so many people waiting online, there weren't enough cashiers. And the fellow, you know, like there were like two people ahead of me, maybe one person, and now the fellow's at the cash register, and he's, uh, well, he's a paraplegic, and there's a fellow there who's helping him take his packages and putting them in his, you know, uh, his wagon or wherever he had in order to him to get out of the store. And it occurred to me, Rochelle, what, what does God want you to do here? You're just standing online. Go help. It'll get it done faster, and it's a nice thing to do. 
So that's what I did. I went around to the other side, and I started helping the other fellow get the packages into the fellow's, uh, I guess, his wheelchair. And uh, so much so the fellow turned and said to me, do you work here? And I thought that was so funny. But the point is that if I were not in recovery, I never would have thought to offer to help because he already had someone helping him. And instead, I helped. And, and that's the result of the program because now when I go someplace, it's what can I do to be of service? What does God want me to do here? Pass. Thank you so much, everyone who is here. We are out of time, um, and I want to control and run the show and go over, but I'm not going to. So uh, we will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Penny C. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Yes, this is Penny C., Recovered Compulsive Overeater from Massachusetts. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.